few moments today and tie up this series that I started a few weeks ago entitled The Ghost. And uh, if it's okay today, I'm going to tie up this series about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to ask you to turn uh, today to the book of Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. And then we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11, two, two verses of Scripture this morning. We're going to tie this series up. While you're finding those passages, uh, it's good to have Pastor Tony and Chris and Sophia and Ava back home with us. Had some time to be away last week and uh, be, at the, be at the beach with their family, just enjoy some vacation time and we're glad to have you back, Pastor Tony, you and your family. I hope you had time to, to rest and recoup. And then we've got some folks from Rocky Mount this morning. Brad and Noah bashing wave at me, guys, right down here on the third row. Noah and Jensen have been friends since pre-K, no joke, a lot of years there. And they attended our church at Rocky Mount, and they uh, dropped in this morning to visit with us. We're so glad to see them. And Clyde and Marsha Moles, I see your boy Jamie back there. There he is. Good to have him in all the way from Texas this morning. So glad that you're here today. And uh, then this morning, we're delighted to have our, I'm going to say, new county administrator with us, Jonathan Sweet. Jonathan, would you wave at me this morning, please, sir? Uh, he's here this morning. His wife, Natalie, uh, is also here, and their, and their two children, I think they stepped out. But we're just so delighted, Jonathan, to have you and Natalie and your family with us. And we welcome you to Pulaski, and we have been praying for you and continuing to pray for you as you take on this new role. And we just honor you this morning, and we acknowledge and recognize your, your place and your position of leadership in our, in our county. And we just welcome you to Pulaski and welcome you to Pulaski Church of God. We're thrilled that you're here today, and that we're committed to praying with you and praying for you. Could we one more time give Jonathan and Natalie and his family a great big hand today? Uh, they are expecting their third child any moment now. Uh, she, Natalie, was due last Friday, and uh, so any any time now. Of course, Natalie's father and mother, Ron and Donahill, longtime pastors in the Church of God. He's currently serving at the River Oak Church in Danville, but he uh, he served the Rocky Mount Church where I was for many years. Also served the Cliffview Church in Galax. So uh, they come from good stock, and we're just glad this morning to have our guests and have those folks with us today. All right, the book of Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. Let's go there first this morning. I've been using this as my kind of foundational text uh, for this series, and here's what the Bible says. Jesus is speaking here, but you shall receive power. Everybody say power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. He said, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the end of the earth. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse number 11 this morning. And here's what this verse says. And this is John the Baptist now that's speaking. He's been in the Jordan River baptizing people, preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching the gospel of of repentance, and here's what he says I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. And he's talking about Jesus now, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. Now, watch this last line here 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's one coming after me. John said his name is Jesus. And he's going to baptize you. Not the baptism of repentance that I'm involved in, John was saying. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to tie this series up today, and I want to preach on this thought, Spirit Baptism. Let's pray, and I'll let you be seated. Father, I love you today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for worship today. I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit that is taking place in this building today and in our hearts and in our lives. And I just ask God for these next few moments of time. You'd help me to preach the word of God with clarity, to preach it with boldness, God. And you'll touch these people today to hear and to receive the word. And I pray that their lives will be changed, God, forever by what the Holy Spirit wants to do in them today and through them in these next moments. I love you today, Lord, and I thank you in Jesus' name. The church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you today for your help. Last year, there was a man by the name of Brian Shaw who won his third, what they call the world's strongest man competition since 2011. The world's strongest man is a competition that highlights and that showcases some of the mightiest men in the world. And during that competition, those, those men compete in some very difficult physical activities that, that puts their, their power <clears throat> and puts their strength on display. I want to give to you some of Brian Shaw's personal bests that he achieved in the gym, some of the very same events that would help him to win the World's Strongest Man competition. Some of his personal bests include a 441-pound log lift, a 640-pound bench press, a 900-pound squat, a 985-pound deadlift, and get this one, a 1,141 Hummer tire deadlift. Now, I believe that you would agree with me this morning when I say that those are some very impressive physical feats of strength. I mean, there's no doubt that this man is a strong, powerful, mighty man. But I'm not nearly as interested in someone with physical strength as much as I am in someone who has spiritual strength that only comes from God. And if we've ever lived in a time where we need spiritually strong men and women and young men and young women. We are living in a time, we're living in a culture, we're living in a society, we're living in a world where we need spiritually strong men and women. Morals are 
compromised all the time. Biblical values and family values are being challenged on a daily basis. And if we're not spiritually strong, and if we don't get a spiritual backbone, if you will, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves stepping over that slippery moral slope that this world has been living on for so long. We need spiritually strong men and women. I like what Daniel chapter 11 verse 32 says to us. It says that those, those who know their God shall be strong and will carry out great exploits. We need those kind of men and women in the world today. And my mind is, and my attention was drawn to an Old Testament character. And as strong as Brian Shaw is, I found a man in the Old Testament who was much stronger than he was. His name was Samson. Samson was born to a mother and father who were unable to conceive and give birth to a child. Samson's mother, her womb was barren. And one day this angel visited this couple. And the supernatural power of God touched her womb and opened her womb and God gave to them a little boy by the name of Samson. The angel of the Lord had given them specific instructions about this boy. They had said to the, the angel had said to the mother and father that he was going to be great and do great things for God. That he was going to be consecrated and set apart. And God was going to raise him up to do some amazing things. And because of that, the angel gave them specific instructions. Samson was to take what is known as a Nazarite vow. There were three stipulations that came along with that Nazarite vow. Number one, he was never to drink strong drink or alcohol. Number two, he was to never come in contact or touch a dead corpse. And number three, a razor was to never come upon his head. His strength would be in the length of his hair and the obedience to God to fulfill this Nazarite vow. In Judges 13 and 25 reveals something interesting to me. And it says that the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, began to move upon Samson. And if you travel through the book of Judges, chapters 14, 15, and 16, those specific chapters detail for us the life of Samson. And there is a phrase that is used on five separate occasions throughout these chapters as it relates to the life of Samson. And that phrase is this. It would say that the Spirit of God came mightily upon Samson. 
The first place we see it, Samson is walking down the road and this young lion comes upon him. And the Bible says that Samson takes his bare hands. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he takes his bare hands and like one who would tear apart a little baby goat, Samson tears apart this lion with his bare hands. The second time we see this phrase that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him. Samson goes down and he kills 30 men single-handedly because this other group of men had been able to solve this riddle that he had posed to them. And his promise was that he would give each of them a new set of clothes. So he goes down, kills 30 men single-handedly, strips them of their clothes, and takes it back to those men. The third time that we see this phrase, that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him, Samson takes 300 foxes. He ties their tails together. He sets them on fire and sends them through the fields of his enemy to burn up their harvest. We see this phrase on a fourth occasion. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him. When he is lying asleep one night inside of his home, and at midnight the Bible said that his enemies came and they surrounded the city and the gates of the city waiting for Samson to come out. And the Bible again uses this phrase that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him and Samson gets up and he literally picks up the post and the gates of the city and physically moves them. And the fifth time that we see this phrase, that the Spirit of God came mightily upon him, the Bible tells us that he takes a jawbone of a donkey. He kills a thousand men single-handedly. And stacks them up heap upon heap upon heap. So what's what's the secret, Pastor? What is it that you're trying to get us to understand this morning? Here's what you have to know about Samson. That Samson was unable to accomplish any of these great feats of strength. He was unable to do what God had called him to do and had ordained him to do and had commissioned him to do until the Holy Spirit would move upon his life. He was unable to do what he was supposed to do. And as strong as the strong man Brian Shaw is, listen, he cannot hold a candle to the strong man named Samson. And here's the difference between those two men. Both of them had physical strength, but there was a spiritual strength that Samson had that came when the Holy Spirit would move upon his life. And here's what you need to know this morning, that the Holy Spirit will indeed give you power that you can't find anywhere else. And I want to tell you this morning, not only does the Holy Spirit want to come upon your life, but He wants to do more than just come upon you. He wants to fill you. He wants to baptize you. He wants to consume you. He wants to overwhelm you. He doesn't just want to come upon you and touch you, but He wants to fill every single part of your life. Permit me for just a few moments. To talk to you about the Holy Spirit and spirit baptism and the power 
that comes along with it. Let me teach a little bit this morning. Number one, you need to know this, that spirit baptism is not the same as salvation. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, you will find out and you will see that the Holy Spirit never filled or baptized people in the Old Testament. The Scripture indeed teaches us that the Holy Spirit would come upon or He would dwell or He would rest upon them for a specific season. But the Old Testament never reveals to us at any point in time that the Holy Spirit came upon and baptized or filled people. Now here's what I do believe. I believe at the moment of conversion that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. Can I come down here and preach a little bit today? Because we believe that God exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And at the moment of conversion, when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit begins at that point to dwell in your life. But there is a difference in the indwelling of the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. Hang with me for just a moment this morning. Now, spirit baptism is not the same as salvation. And spirit baptism and salvation are two different experiences that happen. If you study the New Testament, in Acts chapter 19, they ask, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? See? They didn't know about the whole. We've never heard that there's a Holy Spirit. But they had already received what Christ had done and what they were trying to get them to understand. There is something that happens after salvation. It's a separate experience, and it's called spirit baptism. Now watch this. Spirit baptism is not the same as water baptism. Now in in this church and in most Pentecostal churches and even Baptist churches, we baptize by immersion. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we baptize you. We take you and lower you completely underneath the water, and we bring you back out. What is that, Pastor? Is there power in the water? No. But that is a symbolic act. And it's an outward expression of an inward work that God has done in your heart. It is a public testimony That Jesus Christ has come into your heart. He's become Lord of your life. And it's symbolic that when we lower you under those waters, the old nature, the old self, that old sinful carnal man or woman is being buried beneath those waters. And it's a symbolic act that the old man or woman is being buried. And you're coming up brand new. And you're declaring to everybody that's that's present at that moment that you have left the old man or woman behind. And now you are a new creation in Christ. Romans 6 talks about us being buried in baptism with Christ. But spirit baptism and water baptism are not the same thing. Let me talk to you for a moment about what it means to be baptized in the Spirit. That word baptize is the Greek word baptizo. Here's what that word means. It means to make clean by continually submerging immersing or dipping underneath the water. Now watch this. That, that, that speaks to us of water baptism. It's a symbolic act of us being cleansed. It's a, it's, a, it's a testimony of the old man being washed away and the new man being raised up. Now here's the truth about water baptism. You can come through the waters of baptism and get baptized and still come up a wet center. 
there's no power in those waters. Because unless your lifestyle has changed, you can get baptized 25 times, and if you haven't changed your lifestyle, those waters do nothing for you. But it's a symbolic act. Now watch this. If baptizo means to cleanse by continually submerging, immersing, or dipping here, it also means to cover wholly or completely with the fluid, such as water, but it also means to be overwhelmed. Watch this. When you are baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, you are completely submerged, overwhelmed, and overcome by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 5 and 18 not to be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but to be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit, you're completely consumed, overwhelmed, and you come under the influence, Brother Turpin, of the Holy Spirit. And when you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, He'll change the way you walk. He'll change the way you talk. He'll change the way you act. He'll change the way you think. When you get completely submerged, immersed, and overwhelmed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it will change your life. Watch this. Brother Turpin, can you come help me, please, sir? I'm going to show you all something. Come up here with me so everybody can see. Please. Now watch this. You hold that picture for me. Now watch. I want you to pour water all the way to the top of this glass. Now this right here, while he's doing this, this is the moment of conversion. That's good. This is the moment of conversion. Wherever you made your altar, wherever you found Christ, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your heart, Right? He took up residence in your life. At the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit begins to dwell on the inside of you. But that is not spirit baptism. Because the word baptized means to overwhelm, to cover wholly with the fluid, to immerse, to submerge, or to dip under. This cup, this glass, has just been indwelled with water. But watch this. Here is what spirit baptism is. You might want to hold it away a little bit. It might get you a little wet when I drop it in there. I'll pay for the dry cleaners. You look good this morning, but I like that time. Thank you. You ready? Watch this now. Conversion, spirit baptism. That's good. Thank you. You see the difference? You see the difference? Conversion is one thing. The indwelling of the Spirit is one thing, but there is a separate experience that happens apart from conversion, and that is when the Holy Spirit, when you open your life and you open your heart to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you are completely covered, you're overwhelmed, you're submerged, you're immersed, you are dipped beneath, you come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell somebody in this place this morning, it is the will of God, it is the plan of God, it is the purpose of God for you to be submerged underneath the power in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost working and moving in our lives today. Hallelujah. 
Big difference. Now, I want you to know this. There's not a greater gift in all the world than salvation. This is going to get kicked over, I know, somehow, some way. Listen, you'll never experience, thank you, Miss Sydney. You'll never experience a greater gift than salvation. There is nothing that trumps the grace of God. Now, do you have to be spirit baptized to make it to heaven? No. Do you have to speak in tongues to make it to heaven? No. Is it a requirement for you to make it into heaven? No. The only requirement for you to get to heaven is to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. That's the only requirement. But here's what I want you to understand. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, spirit baptism, is a gift, the Bible tells us, that God has for us. And here's, what, here's my philosophy. I want everything the Lord has for me. Now, I used this illustration a couple weeks ago. That I, we get up on Christmas morning, and like most of you, there's gifts all around the tree. And in Jensen's 16 and JC's 13, and in 16 years, we've been doing Christmas with kids. I've never one time had one of my kids look at me and say, Dad, thank you for your thoughtfulness, but I don't want your gifts this Christmas season. I just want you to take them back to the store. That has never happened. Now, if your kids have done that, God bless you, you've raised some saints. But that's never happened in the Gore household. They have never, or, or any other time, when we hand them a birthday card that's got some money or a gift card in it, they've never opened that card, Brother Turpin, and said, you know, Dad, you're so kind and you're so thoughtful. We're so, we're so gracious for your kind heart. But we don't want the gift that you've given to us. We, we prefer that you take it back. That's never happened. I'm pretty certain. Matter of fact, I'm 100% certain that as long as they live in my house, and by the way, at 18, boys and girls, the gifts probably stop. You have to own your own. I'm kidding. Listen, at 18 or whatever time they leave my house, there'll probably never be a day that they say, Dad, thank you for your thoughtfulness. It's the thought that counts, Dad. We don't want the gift. Here's the truth. Why, Why would we do any different with God? If he says to you that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children to all those who are far off and as many as the Lord God shall call, why would we say no to the gift of the Holy Ghost that he has for us? Listen, I want everything the Lord has for me. I want to be submerged. I want to be consumed. I want to be immersed. I want to be overwhelmed. I want to come under the influence of everything the Lord has for me. I want everything. God has. The Holy Spirit is a promise. Right? He told his disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Is that what he said? In Luke 24, 49, he said, behold, watch this. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Has God ever broken a promise to any of you? No. The Holy Spirit was promised to his disciples 2,000 years ago, and it's still a promise to us today. God promised us the Holy Spirit. I want everything the Lord has for me. He's promised. Listen, he is, he is power. Everybody say power. I'm almost done, so just give me a few more minutes. Listen, you shall receive power. 
power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Watch this. Again, Luke 24 and 49. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. That word power there is a Greek word, and it's, it's, the, word, it's the word dunamis. That's where we get the English word dynamo or dynamite. It speaks of explosive power. It's the same power that God gave to Samson when he would come and rest upon him for that certain season. But listen, there is a power now that the Holy Spirit, when he consumes us and baptizes us, there's an explosive dynamite-like power that God has for our lives. Here's what he said. I want to show you one more illustration. He said, Terry, until you be endued. Everybody say endued. Endued with power. That word endued there means to clothe. It means to cover. Watch this. When you study the word out, when you're endued with power, you become one with, it means. And they say when you study the word out, it's like when you put your hand into a glove. And it just fits and completely covers your hand. Listen, this is what it's like to be spirit baptized. You become one with the Holy Spirit. You are endued with power from on high. You are clothed with, you are covered with. It's like slipping your hand into that glove, and he is the Holy Spirit, and he just covers every single part of your life. He's a promise. He's power. He's power for what, Pastor? He's power. He's power to witness. That's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for us to feel good. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not for us to run around and to fall out on the floor and to speak in tongues and to prophesy. Listen, that's all part of the Holy Spirit. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is for you to be a witness of Jesus Christ and the work he's done in your life. He said, you'll receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. He'll give you power to witness. He'll give you power to work. Listen, when you're called to do something for God and to work for God, volunteer, pay, whatever it may be, in the church, out of the church, he'll give you power to work. He'll give you, listen, he'll give you power to war. You realize we are involved in warfare. Do you understand that? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He'll give you power to war. Listen, there is a war that we're involved in with the, with the, with the, the, the adversary of our souls that we call Satan. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to fight this war that we're involved in. I'll give you power. Pastor Tony, come help me land this, please, sir. Just come play softly for me. He's a promise. He's power. He has a purpose. But let me close with this scene for you from the Scripture. That Jesus, after 33 years on this earth, stood trial in Pilate's judgment hall and was wrongfully accused, tried and condemned For something he'd never done. And while we understand it was the plan and the purpose of God for him to die a substitutionary death for all of mankind. Every charge they ever brought against him was false. When they declared and condemned him to die by the cross. 
after suffering a horrible beating that laid his flesh to the ground and left his internal organs bare for people to see. He carried what they say was a 300-pound cross. Even if he just carried the cross beam, maybe not 300 pounds, but they say probably maybe 150 pounds with those back that had been laid open and that wood digging into that open back. Walked to Via Della Rosa. Willingly laid himself down on a cross. Seven-inch Roman spikes they nailed into his hands and into his feet. A crown of thorns they shoved down into his brow. They raised that cross up and violently dug it into that hole and every part of his body convulsed and shook when they laid that cross in that hole. They plucked the beard out of his face. They had slapped the face of our Savior, had mocked our Master. Like a sacrificial lamb, they led him to slaughter and he never opened his mouth, never said a word. Stretched him wide and they hung him high. And for hours, he hung on that cross. Eventually, he would die from suffocation. His heart would just completely explode. and He would just smother. He'd stick a sword in his side. Blood and water would flow out, and physicians say that was a sign of a heart that had exploded. He literally died of a broken heart. You know what broke his heart more than anything else? Our sin broke his heart. His body would fill with fluid, and he would cradle his bearded chin on his chest, would gasp for one more breath of air and say, it is finished. they take him off that cross. A man named Joseph of Arimathea would lend his tomb to them. It was a borrowed tomb. You know why it was borrowed, don't you? He only needed it for three days. Borrowed. I'll let you. I believe Joseph of Arimathea had heard Jesus say, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. You can borrow my tomb, but you're not going to need it but for 72 hours. Because I heard him say somewhere, you destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it up again. Ladies came and they anointed that body. They wrapped him in linen grave clothes. At some point while he laid in that tomb, he ascended to the lowest, lowest part of the earth. He led captivity captive and he set the captives free and he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And on that third day, resurrection power invaded the tomb. Jesus got up. For 40 days, the Bible said he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. On that 40th day, his disciples gathered around him. And he gives to them what many know is the Great Commission. Depends on where you read it. Matthew, Mark, if you go into the book of Acts, he'll give them this commission to go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And he'd say, but you shall receive power for the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And while he said those words, these two angels appeared 
And Jesus began to ascend to heaven. While he's going up, these disciples are looking up, and the angels say, You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you saw him go. That's the promise of a return. Jesus is coming back again soon. Hallelujah. And he had told them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost fell on the 50th day on the Jewish calendar. So for 40 days, Jesus was alive and he ascended back to the Father. So from 40 days to day 50, there was a 10-day waiting period in that upper room where he had told them to go and wait. Here's what he said. You go to Jerusalem and you wait for the promise of the Father. In one place, he told them to tarry until you be endued with power. He had told them back in the book of John, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. I won't leave you like orphans. I won't leave you helpless. I'm going to, here's where he told him, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. He promised him, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. How's he going to come? Lord, just go wait. What's going to happen when he comes? Just go wait. He never told them. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. And in Acts chapter 2, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are gathered together in Jerusalem for that Passover celebration, to, uh, for, for the Pentecost celebration, rather. People from everywhere. Every tribe, every tongue, different languages there, different cultures represented. There's 120 people in an upper room. On the day of Pentecost. Here's what Acts chapter 2 says. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one place in one accord. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. And all of those people that had gathered there that day from all those different places, those different languages, they heard them speak in their own language. Peter came out of the upper room with them. Because some of them had said, these men are drunk. These people are inebriated. They're, they're talking like a bunch of drunk idiots. They're acting, they're babbling and talking like a bunch of people that have been in a bottle drinking somewhere. And Peter stood up and said, listen, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. He didn't say they weren't drunk. He just said they're not drunk like you think. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Way back in the Old Testament, Joel had said this day was going to come. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, which shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Old men going to dream dreams. Young men going to see visions. All my servants and handmaids, I'm going to pour my spirit out. Prophecy right then and there was coming to pass. Here's my question. When Peter said, this is that, if this is that, then what's this? If this is that, then what's this? I'll tell you what this is. I believe this is the final dispensation of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Jesus comes back to take us to heaven. I just felt that. This is that. What's this? This is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit before the Lord returns to take us to heaven. Now watch what happens here. There was the sound of the Spirit. The Bible said that a rushing mighty wind. <laughs> they say it was, if you studied it out, it was a, almost like a hurricane-like force, a 
tornado-like force wind that filled that house where they were sitting. Don't, 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 don't mistake this here. The sound of the Spirit was the wind. And when the wind of the Spirit begins to blow in your life, it'll blow away all the junk, all the stuff, all the flesh that seems to get the best of us. When you really surrender and submit to the Holy Spirit and you ask Him to fill you and baptize you, listen, the wind of the Spirit will still work in our lives today. It'll blow away fear. It'll blow away timidity. It'll blow, it'll, it'll blow away the flesh. It'll blow away lust. It'll blow all those things out of your life that don't need to be there. Watch this. There was the sound. There was the sight of the Spirit. There appeared unto them cloven tongues. Like, now listen, it wasn't literally fire, but there were divided tongues, it looked like, that appeared as fire and sat up on each of them. It was the sight of the Spirit. It was the tongues of fire. I want to tell you today that the fire of the Holy Spirit will still burn in your life and wants to burn in your life. And when you let the fire of the Spirit burn in your life, it'll burn some stuff up that you can't get out any, any other way. And then finally, watch this. There was the sign. There was the sign of the Spirit. The sound was the wind. The sight was the fire. But here was the sign of the Spirit. The Bible said they begin to speak with other tongues. Pastor Weaver, they begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. It was a natural, unacquired, divinely inspired language that those men were speaking, those women were speaking that day. Because when they came out speaking in those tongues, all of those folks that had gathered around there from all of those different areas heard them speak in their own language. How could they do that? They hadn't learned that. Listen, these, some of these were ignorant, unlearned, uneducated men. I'll tell you what it was. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you today that spirit baptism is evidenced. The first sign, not the only sign, but the first sign of spirit baptism is that we speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Now, Pastor, what, when I receive the baptism, I really get overwhelmed, submerged, and immersed in the Holy Spirit, and I speak in tongues. Is it a known, listen, it can be a known language. The Bible says that it can even be an unknown language. Acts chapter 2 shows us that it's the first sign. Acts 10 and 44 tells us that when they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues and they magnified the Lord. Acts 19 and 6 tells us that when they, were, when they had hands laid upon them, they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Here's what you have to know today. If you're not careful, Pentecostal people will get hung up on tongues. That's all we want to talk about is speaking tongues, speaking tongues. That's the first sign of the Spirit, but it's not the only sign of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit really consumes your life, there'll be fruit that you bear. According to Galatians, you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit that, that comes when we give Him complete control of our lives. It's the first sign. But it's not the only sign. There's so much more to the Holy Spirit that He has for our lives. But I'm telling you today, if you'll ask Him, if you'll ask Him to baptize you and consume you in His power and His presence, I'm telling you, there'll be some things that will happen in your life that have never, ever happened before.
And here's what you need to know today. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you. The Holy Spirit wants to baptize you. There's so much to the Holy Spirit. He's just waiting on some of you to give him the right of way. Because here's the truth. The Holy Spirit will never force himself upon you. He'll never make you do anything you don't want to do. But when you yield yourself and say, Lord, I, I know there's nothing greater than salvation, but I want to be consumed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, the Lord will begin to pour himself out upon your life and in your life. And there's so much to the Holy Spirit. There's the gifts of the Spirit. So many gifts the Bible talks about. There's the fire of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit and the fellowship of the Spirit. The Bible tells us that He will, he will guide us into all truth. He'll pray for you when you don't know how to pray. And there's a pray. Listen, Paul told us to pray in the Spirit and to pray with understanding. There's times that you will pray in an English language, and there's other times you don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit takes over. You begin to pray in, in a language and in tongues. You don't even know what they are. 